episode 113, We Go Pogo. I'm Bob Keckeisen, and you're listening to the August 11th, 2010 podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. Yes, Mingo, so Pogo go, Kila Ha go. Patsy go to Frisco go to Fargo. O'Keefe and Oki playing a possum on a Pogo. Stick around and see Hila show. Go over land alive. From the 1950s through the early 1970s, one of the most popular and widely syndicated comic strips in the country was Walt Kelly's Pogo. Set in the Okefenokee Swamp, Pogo was populated by anthropomorphic animals who channeled Kelly's funny and satiric take on American society and politics. Join museum curator Blair Tarr and me as we take a look at an original Pogo comic strip in the museum collection that features the mythological Kansas Jayhawk. And then, it's National Elvis Week! That's right, 33 years ago this week, the king of rock and roll shuffled off this mortal coil but he remains one of the most recognizable figures in American popular culture. So what better way to salute Elvis than by connecting him in six degrees or less to William Allen White? Did our favorite small town newspaper editor itch like a man on a fuzzy tree? Find out when we play Six Degrees of William Allen White. But first, we go Pogo. Everything that's in you, down the line you'll see the shine from Oregon to Carolina. Oh, yeeny, meeny, miny, hokamogo, pogo. Good afternoon, Blair. Greetings, Bob. Okay. <laughs> well, today we're talking about a comic strip that's in our collection, and this is from the legendary comic strip series Pogo by Walt Kelly. So for our listeners, and probably particularly our younger listeners, yes, could you well. tell us who and what Pogo is? Well, Pogo was Walt Kelly's comic strip that ran for about 30 years, beginning in 1948, uh, it really was sort of an interesting comic strip because Kelly was interested in dialects himself, and he this comes across in the comic strip a bit. It's, most of the characters have sort of what's a southern accent, although they could sometimes take on a French accent or Elizabethan accent. It just depended on how he felt. And you'd even see different type fonts in the comic strip, too, occasionally. You might see... Okay. A very normal type font, but then if somebody wanted to talk in a very high manner, you might see a gothic type oh, font okay. show up occasionally too. Well, he was also quite into wordplay. Yes, he was. He, 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 that's yeah. a lot of what Pogo is. It's uh, puns and just you kind of really have to know a little bit of pop culture to go with it too, like the three bats that he has that show up your, as characters, as characters yeah. every now and then that take their names from, I guess it's fair to call it a torch song. Uh, they'd be called Bewitched, Be Bothered, and Be Mildred. So. <laughs> okay, instead of Bewildered, right? Yeah, okay. Yes. It's, well, and, and our listeners, you may have noticed the uh, music leading into this segment, and we'll play some more of it right when we wrap up the entire podcast after we play Six Degrees of William Allen White, is from an album uh, that was released of songs about Pogo, and actually, it's called "Go Go Pogo" is the song we're using, and it was actually uh, written and sung by Walt Kelly, and it's all wordplay and kind of nonsensical stuff. Yeah, so he he kind of liked that sort of thing. And he built up a whole collection of characters. I think I read somewhere that by the time it ran, 
about 600 different characters that appeared in the comic strip. Wow. <laughs> the main ones were Pogo, who was a possum, wow. uh, Albert the Alligator and Howland Owl, Churchy Lefemme, a turtle, <laughs> okay. Porcupine, which is certainly <laughs> sort of an easy one. Porcupine, and, I would assume. Yeah. <laughs> And they all live in Georgia's Okefenokee Swamp, and I'm glad I pronounced that right. I was afraid I'd trip over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, Pogo's not a Kansas-based comic strip, nor is Walt Kelly a Kansan, so why is this particular strip in our collection? Well, we're not quite sure why he did it exactly, but back in the mid-50s, he did a series of strips, maybe at least four, maybe five. We're not quite sure how many that features a Jayhawk. Okay. It's not the Jayhawk that we know as the KU logo. It's Kelly came up with his own version of the Jayhawk. And yeah, because by the time this comic strip appeared, the Jayhawk was pretty well established yes, as was, the KU yeah. mascot. So he drew something markedly dissimilar. <laughs> <laughs> and what it, what's obvious, too, as you look at the strip, he, he was referring on an article that had been written in the 30s by the then director of the Historical Society, Kirk Meacham. Okay. Uh, so that comes out in the strip, too. Yeah, and um, he, he quotes in the strip, he says something about Professor Ray Moore, who yes. was a professor of geology at KU, who had actually contributed to a book that Meacham wrote about the Jayhawk. Yes, there's something about that. I forget exactly what it is, but it's sort of the geological or fossilized version of oh, the, the Jayhawk's history. Evidence for yes. the Jayhawk, yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Well, Usually in the, in the podcast, we have the curator, you know, you, Laurel, or Rebecca, or Donna Ray, or whoever. Uh, usually you guys describe the artifact that we're featuring on the podcast. But since this is a comic strip, I thought it would be a good idea, since I'm producing it now, uh, I thought it would be a good idea to read this for our listeners. And the particular comic strip in our collection features a conversation between Albert the Alligator, who's always kind of the world-weary, cynical character, yes. and uh, the Jayhawk. So, Blair, I thought you'd be perfect for yeah, Albert. Since, since we're both bad actors. <laughs> and, <you> know, okay. <laughs> and, and I'll be the Jayhawk. And I guess we better, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Kelly did write a lot of dialect for his characters. Yes. Um, some have described it as sort of a rural southern. Like you said, sometimes he used kind of high English. It just depended on it. So this one's sort of more of a rural southern. So with apologies to every rural southerner out there, uh, here we go. So we'll lead <laughs> off. Uh, Blair will be Albert, and I will be the Jayhawk. It looks like Albert starts off here because he's smoking his usual cigar. Yeah, and leaned up against the tree. Yeah, yeah, and leaned up against a tree, which he used to do a lot. Yes. I don't see how you can be a genuine mythological bird, Jayhawk. Oh, there's proof. In 1932, old Professor Ray Moore told all about Jayhawk eggs, which was 12 feet across. Sure enough. I, two fathom wide and solid Kansas marble. Now, Jayhawk, you don't expect me to believe a little bitty bird like you would lay an egg like that? Of course not. I, as a gentleman, Ma used to say, Taint laying them what's a chore, but land, hatching them do wear a body down. <laughs> so, okay, well, with, as we said, with, with, no. with apologies to uh, voice actors everywhere. Yes. Uh, that was our version of Pogo. <laughs> well, um, why did Kelly feature the Jayhawk, and was this particular strip the only appearance? Well, like that, we're really not sure exactly. We, it does look like he ran about four strips in a row at least, mm -hmm. and there may have been a few, bit, few more. He, he may have known Kirk Meacham or a run into him somewhere along the line. Possibly. Because yeah. one of the things that showed up in the comic strip often, there's a rowboat that Pogo is usually going through the swamp. Okay. And 
And usually on the side of the rowboat, they'd have a name, and it would be somebody that Kelly knew. And in one of the four strips, there's Kirk Meacham's name. On the rowboat. On the rowboat. Yeah. So. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So he obviously had some connection yeah. or felt some connection there. So uh, you said Pogo started, what, in the late 40s? 48. Okay. And it's not still running, is it? It stopped running. Well, Kelly died in 73, and it ran for two years after that. Okay. Some people tried restarting the cartoon in 1989, and it ran for four years. But oh. uh, I, I do sort of recall it. As I recall, they cut the artwork down pretty well, but they just never quite captured Walt Kelly's spirit exactly. It's, yeah, his uh, his outlook on things, I think, is pretty unique. <laughs> and I, I think that would be pretty tough to replicate. I remember um, late 1960s, I would have been... Um, like a freshman in high school, um, Procter and Gamble put out uh, a series of about a half a dozen pogo characters oh, yes. as giveaways. Yeah. I think with it might have been with soap, might have been with detergent. Yeah. I, I anyway, I remember my mother coming home from the store, and you know whatever package she had had a couple of pogo characters with it, and I remember having an Albert the Alligator <laughs> and a pogo possum little. I don't think we called them action figures back then. Yeah, I don't think there's much action to them, actually. <laughs> but I remember I had those on my shelves. It's one of those things you look back and think, ah, I wish I still had my Pogo <laughs> figures. There. But I did I did look them up on eBay, and um, I wouldn't be retiring no, the money I would make off of them. But, uh, but anyway, if you're interested in those figures, you, you can find them on eBay. Yeah, it looks like if you have some of the Pogo comic books or even some of the little books mm. that he put out in the 50s, you might do a little bit better on oh, okay. your retirement funds. Yes, the uh, <laughs> Probably better than our, my actual retirement funds are doing. But, well, um, is there anything else Pogo was particularly known for? I think there. Well, there's a couple of things. Probably as we talked about the wordplay, the most famous phrase that probably comes out of it is that on Earth Day, I think in 1970, he did a comic where Pogo was looking at over a garbage-strewn swamp and saying, "We have met the enemy, and he is us." which has been off-quoted many times under different contexts. <laughs> yeah, that's, that kind of surprised me because I always think of that as a really, you know, as an old quote. So 1970 seemed... Well, I did find somewhere, too, that there was sort of an earlier version that appeared in Pogo. Oh. He took on Joe McCarthy back oh, in okay. the 50s. And I forget what kind of character he made mm -hmm. McCarthy out to be, but he actually did this a year before Edward Murrow oh, took really? a shot okay. at him. But... The quote is something like the, the, the McCarthy-like character is saying that we are here to find out who the enemy and he may be us. Oh, okay. So, so it's a little different, but it's... But the actual we've met the enemy, the, he is us, yes, it's, is from It's Earth the same Day. idea. Okay. Yeah, and I think you know, the, the political satire that comes through in Pogo is something you really don't see much, maybe outside of Doonesbury. No, Doonesbury is probably the closest thing to what Walt Kelly was doing, and... Uh, I, I remember, so boy, he, he raised some hackles with some of the people that he mm -hmm. spoofed. J. Edgar Hoover really went after him. <laughs> after uh, Kelly. Yeah, he, uh -huh. he, uh, Kelly depicted him as a bulldog in the <laughs> <laughs> comic. Spiro Agnew was another one who didn't exactly like Walt Kelly. Walt Nixon's vice president, he got pictured as a hyena. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> He didn't just go after our, our politicians either. He took on Soviet Premier Khrushchev, made a yeah. pig out of him and a goat out of Fidel Castro. So. Wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow, and the, the 600 characters is surprising, too, because I was trying to think of a comic strip 
you know, that would have that breadth of characterization. And I know there's there's a lot of folks in Doonesbury now, but wow, 600 is yeah, really when you, surprising. It's when you think some of them probably yeah. just drifted in and out. Yeah. And Doonesbury mm-hmm. does that too to some yeah. extent, that there'll be characters that drift in and out of mm-hmm. But 600 is an awful lot. Well, I remember Pogo being one of my dad's favorite comic strips, so I kind of got you know uh, uh, exposed to it pretty early on. And I remember when I was a you know young child reading this. Most of the time, it didn't make any sense. I like the I like the drawings, but you know it's, it's sort of like reading <laughs> um, Little Abner. I mean, that is another one that I yeah. think um, you know had that political edge to it. If you could sort of read between the lines on it, so you know, it's it's like a lot of things. You know, as a kid, you can enjoy the artwork, but I had you know the, yeah. the stories were just whack, wow, right over my head. <laughs> and I think with Little Abner too, both both he and Kelly, I'll captain uh, Little Abner. Both of them sort of got a little more straight into toward politicians toward the end of the mm-hmm. run too. So it, the, I know Kelly would sometimes give. Uh, publishers an alternative comic strip to run if they didn't. If they, oh, they didn't like it. Yeah. Okay. But toward the end, he didn't do that. He just said, run it. Run it. This is it. <laughs> run it or, or don't. So. Yes. And now, uh, how do we get this particular comic strip in the collection? Uh, that's a good question, actually, and I'm not sure I really know the answer to it. It showed up here in the 50s sometime. It does have the inscription for the Kansas Historic State Historical Society, it has Walt Kelly's signature on so it. So as far as we know, he just sent it to us because it, it had the J. I Hawk. would assume somebody asked for it, or however he got the inspiration to do the comics, he probably passed it on uh, to mm-hmm. that person. Cool. Uh, that might have been Niall Miller, who was director of the society at the time. I don't oh. know, or perhaps even, I'm not sure what how Meacham was still active at the society at that point or oh. not. Yeah, because he had retired by that point. Yeah. So. Cool. All right. Okay. Well, last there's question. A, well, there's okay, also, wait, oh. I was going to say something too. There's okay. also that great Christmas Carol too that comes out of it that people tend to remember. Take us oh, all okay. with Boston Charlie. I won't try singing it, but it's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks. The idea is that he put this together, and I think one description of it is that it's sort of like how a young child might hear the song Deck the Halls with Boughs of Holly and come and up with alternative words. Deck us all with Boston, Boston Charlie. Charlie. Walla Walla, Washington, and Kalamazoo. <laughs> Nora's freezing all the trolley. Swaller dollar cauliflower alley guru. Don't we know archaic barrel? Lullaby, lullaboy, Louisville, Lou. Trolley Molly doesn't love Harold. Or don't love Harold, sorry. Bula Bula, Pensacula, Hullabaloo. Okay. Yeah, so. <laughs> so not just wordplay, but actually some like nonsense, nonsense stuff, too. Nonsense stuff, right? yes. Oh, cool. Yeah, I remember um, I had never heard all the words to it, but uh, when my father used to hear Deck the Halls, he would always sing Deck Us All with Boston Boston Charlie. Charlie, I had no idea what he was talking about, so (laughs) thanks for clearing that up. (laughs) Yes, Yes, your father wasn't going completely off the trolley. Well, Which he would have been in those days. (laughs) (laughs) At least for this, he wasn't, but okay. Okay, uh, last question. If you were a character in Pogo, which one would you be? Oh, I think you called it. It's probably Albert. Albert. Yeah, I think yeah. it would be Albert. That kind of, you know, <laughs> cynical, world-weary. Yes. yes. I sort of like the idea of the picture that are leaning up against the trees, mm-hmm. smoking a cigar and frying fish. It's not a bad <laughs> I'm worse ways to spend yes. your day, right? Okay. All right. Well, thanks for coming in and telling us all about Pogo. You're welcome. You ain't nothing but a hound dog. You cry Now 
it's time for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. Joining me today is Public Information Officer Teresa Jenkins. Hello. And Museum Registrar Nikayla Zimmerman. Hello. Okay. Well, in case you guys didn't know it, we're in the middle. Actually, we're sort of towards the beginning, but it sounds better to say we're in the middle of National Elvis Week. And this event has been held in Memphis, Tennessee every August since the King died back in 1977. So we thought this might be a good time to do what we do best. And uh, I'm surprised we haven't connected Elvis to William mm -hmm. Allen White after yeah. all these episodes. But we asked uh, folks to connect uh, William Allen White with Elvis Presley. So, Teresa, could you give us a little background? Sure. But I'll tell you. I'm kind of feeling all shook up about giving the background <laughs> on one of the most famous people in the world. I mean, it's not like we asked people to connect William Allen White to, say, Deanna Durbin or Kate Lopez. But, and thanks, by the way, yes. for not doing that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Anything to make it easier. Yeah, it makes your job really difficult. Yeah. <laughs> but by and by, another Elvis song, if there's someone out there who doesn't know Elvis, let me be the one. You can't see me making my little quote marks like Dan Rather. Um, let me be the one to tell you about the king of rock and roll. Enough with the song references. Oh, darn. <laughs> Elvis Aaron Presley was born in a two-room shack in Tupelo, Mississippi on January 8, 1935. His twin brother, Jesse Guerin, was stillborn, leaving Elvis to grow up as an only child. At the age of 13, he and his parents moved to Memphis, Tennessee, where he attended public school, graduating from Humes High School in 1953. Elvis grew up listening to the pop and country music of the times and also was influenced by the gospel music he heard in church. As a teenager, he spent time on historic Beale Street in Memphis, where he ex was exposed to African-American rhythm and blues. In 1954, he began his singing career with the legendary Sun Records label in Memphis, where Sam Phillips, the record label owner, decided to take the young performer under his wing. That's All Right was Presley's first single in 1954. Presley soon began touring and doing more recordings. In late 1955, his recording contract was sold to RCA Victor. By 1956, Elvis was an international sensation. He signed a movie contract with Paramount Pictures and starred in Heartbreak Hotel, the first of over 30 films in which he would appear. In 1957, Elvis was drafted into the U.S. Army, an event that he was certain would derail his fledgling stardom. But his wily manager, Colonel Tom Parker, knew that he had enough Elvis recordings to keep the singer in front of the public during Elvis's two-year hitch in the Army. He was crafty, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> in more ways than After basic training, Elvis was stationed in Germany, where he met his future wife, Priscilla. Who was a baby at the time. She was, she was young. <laughs> Barely legal, as I yeah. <laughs> call it. <laughs> After his stint in the Army, Elvis returned to recording, making movies, and performing his wildly popular live concerts. He and Priscilla were married in 1969 and had a daughter, Lisa Marie, the following year. By the late 1960s, Elvis' box office popularity began to wane, but he proved he was still the king of rock and roll when he did his first TV special in 1968 and was a huge hit. Unfortunately, his marriage soon hit the rocks, and he and Priscilla divorced in 1973. Elvis was also wrestling with other personal problems, including a growing addiction to prescription drugs, and the once-thin rock star began battling a weight problem. Despite these problems, Elvis continued to be a popular act in Las Vegas and on concert tours. In June of 1977, he gave a concert in Indianapolis that would turn out to be his last. 
Following that concert, Elvis returned home to his Memphis mansion, Graceland, to prepare for another tour. And sometime on the morning of August 16, 1977, Elvis died of heart failure. He was 42 years old. Even after his death, Elvis remains one of the most recognizable figures in the world. He helped popularize the fledgling rock and roll movement in the 1950s, and he went on to have 18 number one singles while winning three Grammy Awards. He was one of the first performers inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and he's also been inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame, as well as the Gospel Music Hall of Fame. His Memphis home, Graceland, is open to the public, and thousands of fans from around the world visit the legendary residence each year, especially around his birthday and the anniversary of his death during National Elvis Week. Which is this week. So. I guess we should have recorded from Graceland. Yeah, we should have road trip. Yeah, I remember uh, when he died in 1977, Groucho Marx died just a day or two later. Um, and there are a lot of people upset that all of the national you know, magazines, Time, Newsweek, everything, uh, were covering Elvis like crazy. And Groucho was kind of an afterthought, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. was always kind of sad. But, Poor uh, Groucho. Yeah, I was uh, one of those people who would have written a letter to the editor. <laughs> <laughs> a strongly worded letter. Into, yeah, strongly worded letter to the Times. How dare you, sir? But uh, anyway. Uh, okay, well, thanks, Teresa. And Nikayla, you have a solution? I do. I have two solutions. Oh, okay, And cool. they're both really short, and they're both pretty funny. Okay. So... The first yeah, let's, one. Let's hear them both. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the first one. Um, in the early years of his career, Elvis gave a concert in La Crosse, Wisconsin, that featured his new hit song, Hound Dog, which involved a lot of gyrating, apparently, <laughs> <laughs> what Elvis was known for best. Um, after this show, the Catholic Diocese of La Crosse sent a letter to J. Edgar Hoover stating that Elvis was, quote, a definite danger to the security of the United States. His actions and motions were such as to rouse the sexual passions of teenage youth. So now we deal with Al-Qaeda. Back then it was Elvis. <laughs> it was Elvis. Yeah. So J. Edgar Hoover was an acquaintance of William Lindsay White. Um, William Lindsay actually once contacted Hoover to get a visa for a um, cartoonist friend of his who wanted to travel to Korea in 1951. And, of course, William Lindsay was the son of William Allen. Okay. So that's the first that's one. pretty quick. Elvis, the, you know, threat to national security. Mm-hmm. And then um, in 1970, Elvis arranged a private meeting at the White House with Richard Nixon. Um, which was a little strange. Uh, during the meeting, Elvis asked the president for a Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs badge to add the, to a collection he had started, which <laughs> apparently he was adamantly against illegal drugs, but prescription drugs? Nah, <laughs> fine. That's, was it that's for his great. collection of drugs? <laughs> it could have been. <laughs> Not a collection of badges. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He wore it while he took prescription <laughs> drugs. drugs. Um, at the time, he, at the meeting, he also bashed the Beatles because he thought that they Ooh. were using illegal drugs, which the Beatles thought was strange because they had met and they were kind of friends. Yeah, and they, Elvis they admired him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the Beatles weren't too happy with that. But um, anyway, Nixon was um, on a first-name basis with William Lindsay again. And uh, Nixon and William Lindsay were both at a retreat in California where Nixon first met Dwight Eisenhower, who we okay. later know would go on to be uh, vice president for him. And, of course, once again, William Lindsay was the son of William Allen. Cool. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a fairly famous picture of Elvis and Nixon shaking yeah. hands and gets reproduced a lot, and it's yeah, kind of bizarre. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, the whole... Uh, Elvis mania is, uh, it's its amazing to me how long it's, you know, hung on. I mean, what's it been, 33 years now since he, pa- well, since he supposedly passed away, because you still get, <laughs> I think he's probably one of the most, 
probably one of those people that, you know, he's the most often cited as, oh, he didn't really die. You know, right. he's living in Las Vegas with Marilyn Monroe and mm-hmm. JFK. And anyway. Well, I got to tell you, this made me think when I was in high school, I was in forensics. Go figure. Mm-hmm. Big, you know, nerd event. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and one of my friends and I did a duet act uh, that was about two women fighting to be the first people into Graceland. And, you know, we were teenagers. I mean, we weren't even alive when Elvis was alive. <laughs> but we loved Elvis. We wanted to do something about Elvis. So, yeah. Tell me there's a videotape of that somewhere. Uh, there may be. I've never seen it. <laughs> be watching okay. our Facebook page, friends. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. might find it on YouTube. Who knows? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, Teresa, would you like to issue the challenge for the next episode? Absolutely. And I have a real taste for this one, pardon the pun. Our next (laughs) podcast will be here on August 25th, which happens to be the birthday of American chef and TV personality, Rachel Ray, yum-o. So we'd like you to put aside your EVOO and connect with our favorite Kansan, William Allen White. Uh, Connect him to Rachel Ray. All right. bringing the snacks. Oh, good idea. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Oh, needs well, to be a Rachel Ray recipe, though. Okay. Absolutely. Well, we can do it in 30 minutes or less. So. That's true. Yeah. Okay. There you go. All right. Okay. Live on air. <laughs> <laughs> so if you think you can connect William Allen White with the best-selling author of 30-Minute Meals and the star of the eponymous Rachel Ray Show, just send your solution to podcasts at kshs.org. That's podcasts with an S. Yes, mango, so pogo, go, kila, ha, go. Ratsy, go, to frisco, go, to fa, go. That concludes episode 113, We Go Pogo. To see a photograph of the Pogo comic strip, go to our website, kshs.org, and click on Podcasts. Our website is also the place to find out everything that's happening at the Kansas Historical Society. You can research our collections, check out a calendar of events, find directions to our library, museum, and historic sites, and even become a member. For more fun stuff, look us up on Facebook and become our friend. Or start following us on Twitter. Just head to either site and search for Kansas Historical Society. Come back in two weeks when museum registrar Nikayla Zimmerman will join me to examine a belt exerciser machine from the 1960s. Could people really just vibrate and shake their way to increased muscle tone, weight loss, and better health? Join us in two weeks to find out. This podcast has been a production of the Kansas Historical Society. Real people, real stories.